Athletic NBA Show listeners. It's me, Zach Harper. Be sure to check out our live stream, Opening Day Extravaganza, Tuesday, October 19th. We'll be live at 3 p.m. Eastern for our tip-off mailbag extravaganza, previewing this season as well as the two big matchups tonight, Warriors versus Lakers. It's Stephen LeBron. And then the Nets try to ruin the Bucks championship banner ceremony check out our twitter at athletic nba show for a link to the show it's me it's dave defour it's andrew schlecht it's david aldrich and some special guests will be taking your questions on this upcoming nba season and more it all kicks off at 3 p.m eastern check out at athletic nba show on twitter for more details athletic nba show for more details Hello, Athletic NBA Show listeners. I'm Andrew Schlecht, and starting this week, the NBA Daily Ding will move to the Athletic NBA Show feed. Monday through Friday, you'll be able to catch up on all of the previous night's action in the time it takes to make coffee. Fancy coffee, delicious coffee. Dave DeFore, myself, Trevon Edwards, Keith Parrish, Jared Weiss, Mo DeKeel, and special guests, and also your favorite Athletic NBA beat writers will break it all down every single morning and you'll know exactly what went on the night before your friends will think that you're a basketball genius but be sure to tell them why be sure to check it out monday through friday the nba daily ding right here on the athletic nba show welcome to the athletic nba show monday through friday on the athletic podcast network Welcome to Tampering. We're this beautiful game of basketball that we all love and talk about every single day. Sam Panic. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. To be able to bring people together. Reportedly at the center of an NBA investigation. Into tampering accusations. And the message to executives in the league is not talking about players on other teams. What did I do? The charges filed. Impermissible contact. Is right or wrong? Tampering charges are really difficult to prove. You know me, I talk. <laughs> awkward to even talk about them. Can't even mention teams anymore. Actually, what I like to play with Kevin Durant. The trial you want with tampering. They're always ahead of the rules. It's not rocket science. I have tamper with the guys. I didn't tamper. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast. I'm Sam Amick, NBA National Writer at The Athletic. Here at the beginning of... Almost tip off the real deal coming the NBA 2021-2022 season with Anthony Slater, not only on the West Coast, here in the fine city of Angels with myself. We also have, from the other side of the country, the one and only Will Guillory, Pelicans beat writer, extraordinaire gentleman. What in the hell is going on? The season is opening, and I'm trying to uh, do some quick, dirty math. But, uh, well, in L.A., it's 7.02 p.m. right now. We're talking 24 hours from now, Sam Amick. They're about to be tipping the ball up. I know. I tried to bring proper enthusiasm. Hopefully I met the moment. But, but Will, how are you feeling? Are you excited? I mean, not only is the season beginning, and I'm being genuine here, we get to talk to human beings in person, players and coaches. I sat five feet from LeBron James today and was able to ask him a question while looking him in the eye. And, and this was something we did not have at the start of last season. So that makes me very happy. Man, it's a beautiful thing. I, I've been able to walk around the Pelicans practice facility and see guys shooting the basketball. I, I talked to Willie Green today about his 
Detroit Lion fandom. He didn't cry like the, the Detroit Lions coach at the press conference, <laughs> but he pretty much expressed the same sentiment. It's cool just to be able to see people. Wait, is that the same and, dude who talked about biting off kneecaps? He, now he's crying? <laughs> yes, former New Orleans Saint, Dan okay. Campbell, I believe. It's, called, so, it's yeah. called passion, Sam. Okay, You can bite <laughs> kneecaps and cry for important life moments. Jared Goff. Make people cry or up. cry. Do one or the other. Yeah, man. Those football players are different, man. They're a different type of crazy. <laughs> That's how you survive over in that league. But no, nah, man, it's just great to, to see people and talk to them in person and, and not just look at, at everybody through Zoom like we were during pet the last season. So, yeah, I, I can't wait to get to my game. Yeah. The other night, and this was obviously preseason, but I went to um, the Kings-Lakers preseason game, the Lakers finale. And we're going to get into that, certainly. The fact that I know it's just preseason, but Lakers did go 0-6. Probably not the best way to start things. But in that game at the Golden 1 Center in Sacramento, I walked down to the court. I sat down with multiple front office people and scouts in person while my feet were on the hardwood. And again, that's just something that is kind of the bread and butter of what we do. And and I missed it dearly and glad to be mostly back and getting there. Um, So guys, we got a lot to get into today. I I think here's the way I'm going to break it down. You know, we can't make, you know, our way around the entire league. We are going to hyper-focus in on the city that Slater and I are in, talk a little bit of Lakers specifically uh, talk Warriors, certainly, because they've got that opener coming up tomorrow night, and it'll be tonight when this pod comes out. But we got to talk some Pelicans, Will. You 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 know, out in New Orleans, you think when Zion Williamson came to town that he would dominate headlines all the time. And I, I feel like it's still not the case. Like a lot of stuff kind of flies under the radar out there. You know, media day rolls around, and it's just like, oh, by the way, he had surgery. So I thought we'd tell you all that that happened. And it's just, it's just things move differently out there. But before we talk Pelicans and and kind of make our way out from there, Slater, um, let's break things down from a, a Warriors-Lakers standpoint, just because I, that's a premier game. And, and you got the franchise that you cover that just dominated the NBA for so many years, this five-year run that was epic and historic and, you know, that multiple books were written about. And and you got this Lakers squad that is, you know, dominated more than any other team, you know, sans the Celtics in the history of the league. You know, it's two two teams in different places. Uh, you know, if you're looking at these two squads, uh, what do you see? Because you got the hype and you got the, the, the team and the Warriors that's been there. Yeah, I mean, it's the ratings Goliath for the league. I mean, it, the league would love a West Finals between the, the Warriors and Lakers. Just, I, I mean, remember the play-in last year? That's like a... Yep. Yeah, that yep. was... Uh, actually a really good moment for them. But I mean, as far as like these, this moment for these two teams, I think, and I've said this elsewhere, but I think this is going to be kind of a, uh, this first game, if we can overrate a, an opener, which we always do. Right. We know uh, what recycled takes, by the way, don't say we, well, we said this elsewhere. It, it, it'll be an interesting <laughs> Fresh stuff. Give us the new stuff. It'll be an interesting test case for like how much the preseason matters, because you mentioned it, the Lakers did go zero and six and it wasn't yeah. just, a normal 0 6. I mean, like the way Westbrook played was concerning. I mean, I don't even, I don't have the full stats in front of me, but we're talking like 22 turnovers in three or four games and like five made shots, essentially. Preseason turnovers don't count, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, what, was, what was the direct quote? <laughs> I could turn that B word over 15 times and it wouldn't matter. Yeah. So I'm just afraid uh, my kids are going to listen to the pod. That's why I just got, uh, you know, gun shy on, on the word there. But yes, Russ was was very dismissive about the fact that he uh, he had the ball, you know, in his hands as if it was slicked with oil. But, I mean, beyond that, like, obviously he doesn't seem to be, like, you know, 
he doesn't seem to be in top form, obviously, but just like the lineups are weird. Frank Vogel was trying different stuff. Sometimes they're starting a center next to Davis. Sometimes they're not. They're not really committing to to a style. Nothing seemed to work. I mean, Sam, we were there. They played their nearly their regular season rotation. The Kings just beat them. Um, same with the Warriors. A couple of the Warriors have played them two times in the preseason and, and handled them not only really easily, but there was a game in Staples Center where Steph and Draymond do not play, and Jordan Poole dominates them because they don't have anyone to guard the perimeter. And the Warriors beat a, a Steph, LeBron, Davis rotation uh, in that game. Now it is preseason. That is a huge part of this. Um, but the Warriors, on the flip side, with bigger question marks. I would say probably entering the preseason had a really good preseason five and zero. Oh, all their offseason additions looked really good. Bielitsa Porter, the offense is moving well. Um, Jordan Poole emerged. I mean, he was getting some hype, but he kind of showed under the bright lights. The hype is there and they're feeling really good about themselves and they are healthy. They had no injury setbacks, obviously the Clay Thompson issue, but I just mean uh, in the preseason, the Lakers had a few guys go down and then, but there's also this, you know, thing lingering in your brain, like, hey, look, the lights might turn on tomorrow. Davis, LeBron, just dominate because they're the the two powerful guys in the game. And then we all go, why did we care about the last two weeks of basketball? <laughs> right, right. Where do you stand on this, Will? You've seen this game for years now. I mean, it's always hard to judge preseason hoops, and typically teams and players and coaches are going to downplay it. But and I'll frame it this way I, before you weigh in. I keep going back to 2012. Uh, Dwight Howard, Steve Nash, Kobe Bryant, Pau Gasol, they go 0-8 in the preseason. And similar from the standpoint of Dwight missed time during the preseason, Kobe missed time during the preseason, you know, it wasn't a case of the healthy Lakers being out there every single time. But by the time they got to 0-8, and I wrote this today, um, Jim Buss at the time running their front office, they they lost a game in Fresno to cap that terrible preseason, and Robert Sacre was – starting at center because Dwight was out. And I remember walking by Jim after that last loss and he kind of laughed and he was like, man, I like this team, even with Robert Sacre at center and you know, ha ha ha. Everything was lighthearted. Everything was no big deal. Then they got off to an atrocious start and ended up losing to the Spurs in, in the playoffs you know, in the first round. So it, it did ultimately bear out. Didn't they fire Mike Brown like five games into the Yeah, season? it also cost the coach the job, yeah. basically, for sure. Five games in. It was from Mike Brown to Mike Tony. So you talk about, you know, that stuff not mattering. It 100% mattered in that situation. Now, Frank Vogel's not, you know, in trouble because of this preseason. But I think your your takeaway is accurate that it there is substance here. But how do you see it, Will? And it's funny you bring up those two names because we kind of bring it in full circle now. Mike Brown's. And Golden State with Slater, and I got D'Antoni down here in New Orleans right. as kind of assist, assistant, kind Consultant, of not. Consultant, you know, right? Consultant, there. right, exactly. But, yeah, we, we is see Is he around, practice. Will? Is he around in person? Yeah, I, okay. I, I saw him today, as a matter of fact, in okay. practice. He's been around a good bit. He was actually in Thibodeau with the team at their open practice, took the hour drive. We, we were kind of laughing about that, whether D'Antoni was going to take that drive. But I, I think that Warriors team is going to be super interesting this year. And obviously the storyline and, and everyday Slater is going to get the questions about what's going on with Clay. When is he coming back? Uh, but I think the the card that they're able to play this year that they didn't have last year was kind of the continuity where they brought a lot of those guys back from last year, like Poole, like Toscano Anderson. And they kind of established a style of play at the end of the year. We saw it at the end of the year against the Pelicans and those two big games that determined the play in basically. And now you're bringing in these two rookies and Kaminga and Moody and you've got the Wiseman piece and how much are those guys going to be involved? And I think that's going to be the big question for that team. And obviously, 
and we've talked about it before, how much you lean on this warrior style of play that we all know and love and we've seen it for so many years and how much do you see what these young guys have and see how they can bring a different flavor to Golden State and maybe change things a little bit and maybe you know Steph isn't ready for change Draymond isn't ready for that type of change well I think it's going to be a tug and pull the whole season because those guys got talent I mean that's obvious they all went high in the draft we know they can do it on the court but how do they fit in with the Warriors I think it's going to be the big question from from the Lakers side um, I think that the preseason, you know, you can go 0 6 in the preseason. I, I'd love to go look at the standings right now. Uh, I don't, I mean, there's probably a team we all think is going to be good that went 1 and 4 or something like that, uh, for various reasons. And we can go back years over years. I wasn't, it? I believe it's the Bucks went, uh, winless last preseason and then won the title. Um, so we don't have to go far to find the case. I can look that up. Yeah. But I, but I think that, it was like more like what you saw. And, and to me, what concerned me, I kind of mentioned, alluded to a little bit earlier, like they're not really committing to Davis at center. You're seeing DeAndre Jordan out there at times starting and, you know, Dwight Howard's looking better than De- DeAndre Jordan. Um, and, and and then the Westbrook stuff, like you're, you're seeing him f- struggle when he's off the ball and he, you know, he's not like trying to integrate a new style. He's kind of just talking like, you know, earlier, like it, the, the turnovers will clean up when I start. It's like, no, Russ, you kind of need to play a different style. And then, you know, from watching the Warriors games, it's like um, they got a bunch of wide open threes because Russell Westbrook fell asleep off ball. And then it just reminds you, oh, yeah, this team, when they constructed it, reconstructed it this summer, uh, they really gave up a lot of defense. <laughs> I know there were people right. in the Warriors who the moment Alex Caruso went to the Bulls, they were fist pumping. They're like, right. you know, yes, he was really good on Steph Curry in the plane. He's really a guy they don't want around in this conference. And they lost him. They lost Caldwell Pope. Even, you know, Kuzma, who's been somewhat of a disappointment. That was a versatile defender. They replaced him, you know, with the Carmelos of the world, with, you know, Westbrook and, and some of those guys. And I just think defense was this team's calling card when they won the title. And that's kind of gone. And you saw it in the preseason. Not only did do they not have it as much on the roster? The guys that are supposed to play it were hurt. Ariza's out for a while. Horton yeah, Tucker's yeah. out. And yeah. like that's the con- – it's not just, oh, they went 0-6. I'm concerned about the record. No, I'm concerned about what I saw and the trend line of where this is going. To that I mean, point, it's a- later and just kind of threads with what I said before, the excitement about talking to people in person. Today, I was in the room with Frank Vogel and did get a chance to ask him – about Russ and his defense and specifically just said, given what the Lakers have accomplished the last two seasons defensively, what is your vision for Russ on that end and the process of making the most of, you know, the best version of him. And so here's the quote that I have in front of me, actually, it says, bring his athleticism and IQ to our schemes. Obviously we're different than the way a lot of teams defend with our scheme. So with Mello, with Russ, with Monk, with uh, Kendrick Nunn, with all these new guys coming in, even DJ, there's going to be an element of instinctually being sharp with executing our schemes, but we expect him to be great in our scheme in terms of executing our scheme. I've said scheme 17 times now. I didn't realize Frank did that. Seems like but, Frank said it 17 times. Yes, I'm repeating Frank saying it. Uh, so, I mean, you know, he says bring athleticism and passion that he brings to the game. But again, the major disclaimer, that's the best version. That was I was trying to nicely get Frank's opinion on what I do think is potentially a problem area on one end. And then Slater, you hit on the other end, which is we've talked on recent pods about, you know, we have a really significant sample size of Russ playing off the ball and not playing off the ball very well. 
Um, you know, I think this this is a real thing to watch. It's not media trying to find something to talk about. These are real basketball concerns. Yeah, and I think Slater brought it up. Uh, you know, we can talk about the identity this team built, you know, the last two seasons. But when you look at the roster, it's all new guys. I mean, Rondo was part of that team that won the championship. Dwight was. But everybody else, pretty much other than AD and LeBron, they're brand new. <laughs> you know, this this is going to be a completely different thing for them. So I think we're going to see them probably struggle a little bit early on, uh, especially on the defensive end. But I think that's the point of having a guy like Vogel leading the way. I, we know his history with leading great defenses, and I think he'll probably figure it out. But, man, Russ at, at point and whatever they're doing at two guard, I, I think it's going to be a question throughout the season how they defend the Steph Currys, the Damian Lillards, because they're all over the place in the West. The Pelicans have the same problem. They don't know how they're going to guard those guys either. But I think it's a constant problem when you're playing in the West with all these great guards out here. I just want to know if, if William Rondo, Rajon's brother, is still going to yell at Russ, you know, now that they play on the same team like he did in the bubble. You know, this is a the beef that no one's talking about. It's, it's How do you reconcile that? You know, the Lakers are just building bridges between players and, and brothers here. It's impressive stuff. Can I add one more before we move on to a Pelican situation that is fascinating on many levels? Um, <laughs> I just want to add one more interesting element to this Lakers-Warriors game. Um, the Warriors cut Avery Bradley. They had a 15th roster spot that was uh, up for grabs, essentially, uh, in the preseason. And it really came down to Avery Bradley against Gary Payton II. Um, and Gary Payton II is still likely to get it, although they cut him and there's some maneuvering going on. But what matters here is that Avery Bradley was cut, and it was against the wishes of uh, Draymond Green, Steph Curry, among some other veterans. That was reported by our Marcus Thompson. Um, but it, you know, it, it, the 15th roster spot is not a, always a big drama, but it, there's obviously some slight drama there. Um, but Avery Bradley was then claimed by the Lakers. And, you know, as we talk about their issues in, in, in guarding the perimeter, I just think it's interesting. Uh, it's something in, to to note that, um, as has been reported, Draymond and Steph kind of wanted Avery Bradley on the roster, yeah. and now yeah, he's yeah. on the Lakers roster and might help the Lakers and just how that might go. Over. And well, Bradley and was really good for them before the bubble, too. And I was going to say, well, they, you know, that subplot is interesting to me. Um, Rondo... And Bradley both there. If I'm being honest, there was a time when I I didn't expect to see them in Laker jerseys again, partly because you go back to the bubble. Remember Rondo had that injury. And then there was a time we didn't really know if he was going to come back. And it was kind of an uncertainty around Rondo and, and ultimately did come back, did play really well. Bradley didn't chose not to come he had, for personal reasons, for family reasons, you know, didn't come to the bubble, which I think certainly was understandable, but I do think there was a, a little bit of residue there that I thought might be an obstacle to him returning. Obviously wasn't. I think, you know, my understanding is that that Rob Palinka just basically said this will help from a basketball standpoint, and, and that was that. Um, and like Slater wrote the other day, we'll now see you know, what version of Avery Bradley this is going to be because the funny part about the Bradley-Gary Payton, uh, the comparison was that, you know, Gary, like you've said, Anthony's it's kind of the younger, you know, modern day version of what Avery used to be. Avery's not defending the way that he did when he was locking up Steph back in the day, but the Lakers are certainly hoping he's got some of that left. The mitten, though. I shout out to the mitten. That's what they call Gary Payton yes. in a second. Uh -huh. yes, I like it. All right. All right. We have buried the lead. Let's get Pelicans on here. Will, Pelicans. Let's do it. First of all, I'm happy to see your 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 healthy smiling face after 
Hurricane Ida just wreaked havoc on that part of the country and so many other places. I know we texted at the time. Just glad that, that you came through okay. I think you you kind of got out of the area back then. And, and I saw today Pelicans were doing some good charity work, you know, still helping folks that are recovering. So much bigger than the basketball stuff happening in the area. Um, on the basketball front, though, you know, not that long ago, it was the incredible arrival of Zion Williamson to New Orleans and what we thought was going to be a fast track of, you know, one of the league's kind of more struggling small market squads has not been the case. We've had speed bump upon speed bump. And now, you know, we get to this season and they don't know when they're going to see Zion. He had foot surgery, not the only story going out there, but certainly the biggest one, uh, Willie Green trying to get comfortable in that role and, and, you know, make this thing work. What are you seeing here? Yeah, it's funny. We were talking pre-bubble just now because it wasn't that long ago we were looking at this squad pre-bubble and they had Lonzo, they had Drew Holiday, Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, J.J. Redick, all those guys healthy, all of them rolling. They were playing well. They were pushing for the eight seed. And then since then, it's just kind of been, you know, a real roller coaster. And now we're going into another season with questions about Zion's, you know, health, uh, another new coach you know, new backcourt situation. So I think it's going to be a lot of questions for this team. But I think the big thing, you know, going into the season is just, you know, what's going on with Zion? How long is it going to be? Because we saw during his rookie season, the initial diagnosis was six to eight weeks coming off of that torn meniscus. And it ended up being about three months right before he actually got back on the court. And now they're talking he's going to get reevaluated two weeks from when they say the, uh, the the initial David Griffin press conference, so that puts it right around maybe Halloween-ish, and that's just a reevaluation. You know, he still isn't, you know, doing any team activity right now. It's mostly cardio and one-on-o, you know, uh, on-court stuff. So, yeah, when he comes back, it's going to be huge because we know there's so many teams fighting for that playing spot, and, and the Pels are the team with probably more pressure than anybody, uh, you know, amongst that group to get that playing spot. And, you know, they, they need their superstar healthy uh, because a lot of this hinges upon him. And it's a big mystery right now. How long is he going to be out and, and what's he going to look like when he comes back? So so where your injury is in the NBA, I've, I've discovered over the years of covering it matters. Um, if you have a hand injury, a wrist injury, a shoulder injury, uh, but particularly a hand, I'm mentioning because I remember Steph Curry a couple years ago gets the hand injury. And he was when the hand healed, he was kind of ready to go conditioning wise because you can have a cast on a hand and still run on a treadmill. You can you can run around the court. You can keep, you know, your lungs and and, and keep in shape where foot injury, knee injury, you kind of just I mean, you can do some upper body like, you know, workouts, but you, you can't really run for a while. Um, and and one of the biggest questions uh, lingering you know around the fringes of Zion right now is just what, you know, beyond like how the foot is. How in shape is he? You know, how many pounds does he weigh? Um, how long will it take him? He strikes me kind of as a guy who who stays in shape by playing basketball and he's unable to play basketball. So, I, I mean, I don't know. What's your sense of just the physical shape he's in? Because the other thing is if, if he's weighing too much, that leads to more lower body injuries, right? With the way he lands, the way he explodes. Just what's your sense of that uh, part of the situation? Yeah, there's no doubt. There's a lot of angst, you know, around the the the, the fan base. Uh, as far as every single Zion picture that comes out, what does he look like? How big is he? What? How much? Uh, what does his neck look like? What does his face look like? I have people ask me sometimes when we look at his pictures. Uh, I, I've never seen the guy analyze so much just just what his weight could possibly be. And of course, like you said, it matters because his two injuries have been knee, foot, and, and you know those are the ones that are really tough to come back from. In the league, I would say I agree with you that he's probably a guy that that plays 
plays himself into shape more than he comes in, you know, with the six pack LeBron style. I, I think it's going to be a while before he ever gets there. Uh, I think, you know, when I see him around a facility, he, he looks fine. He looks like regular Zion. He's like I said, he's never that guy that looks amazing out there. But I, I think, uh, man, people were making the same jokes about him last year. And he was 27 and seven shooting 61 percent from the field. And so I, I, I kind of taught myself to just not analyze it so much and analyze his play and I think that's the, the the really bad part right now is that he's not even playing and I think that's the scary thing is that maybe if he was doing three on three at this point if he was you know shooting a little bit more but we're you know early in training camp we were seeing him but we really haven't seen him that much and I think it's a real question when is he going to get back in, on the court when is he going to get himself back in shape because I think he can uh, obviously he's still a very young guy uh, but I think the fact that he's not doing as much right now uh, is something that, you know, we're going to have to keep questioning because the season's here, you know, it's going to keep rolling without him. So, well, that is the injury report. That's the physical aspect of the Zion situation, right? Let's talk about the other side. I'm talking the emotional. I'm talking the psychological. It's been four months since you were part of a good piece on our site with Sham Sharani and Joe Varden looking at the end of the Stan Van Gundy era, looking at, a lot of the layers out in New Orleans and specifically the idea that that some folks around Zion, you know, were already looking at greener pastures, specifically New York City, as a potential market for Zion. And we just know this is the story that is going to dog him and the franchise either until that happens, something like it, or they achieve success that it kind of hits the mute button on that conversation. Um, but, it, it, I mean, again, we talk about stories that – sometimes get exaggerated versus real ones. This is another real one to me. This is, we don't see franchises part ways with a coach that quickly very often. You know, Nate Bjorkren out in Indiana, somewhat similar. They don't have a Zion type character though. Um, the the theme here and the driving force was that, you know, from Gail Benson on down and with Griff certainly at the epicenter of the whole thing, they just know the urgency of the situation. They know that they don't want to lose Zion. Like what is the updated sense on that front. And I'm just talking about chatter about, you know, like if you compare Zion, maybe this is a stretch, but like Dame out in Portland, right? Dame's kind of chilled a little bit. He's decided to take a deep breath to see how things go. And you've seen less headlines, less stories. You know, what is the updated sense of, of the Zion element there? Yeah, I think, you know, going from Stan Van Gundy to Willie Green certainly helps the situation. Uh, yeah. I think Stan Van Gundy was a guy that probably rubbed a lot of people uh, the wrong way, just the way he handled coaching here. You, I mean, that was part of the reason they brought him in is they wanted him to be that bad cop, the guy that tells guys, you know, what they need to hear rather than what they want to hear. I think it was probably a little bit too much of that going on and less like relationship building. And I think that's why you bring in a guy like Willie Green to kind of, you know, get a deeper bond with your stars like Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram. So I think that's going to be really important. Uh, but I tell everybody the big thing for, for Zion, and I, I think this is going to continue to be the case. He he just wants to be a part of a winning team. And I think the disappointment of last season and the disappointment of that bubble run, I think hit him really hard when you add on all of the turmoil with the coaching staff and, you know, J.J. Reddick's beefing with the GM publicly. And, right. uh, you know, you got multiple stories coming out behind the scenes stuff. Uh, so I think, you know, they really just don't want him around that kind of stuff. They want him to be a part of a winning franchise. And when you see guys like Anthony Davis leave, get a championship, Drew Holiday leaves, get a championship it certainly doesn't help uh but i think and i gotta be honest i hadn't actually connected those dots like drew in particular like that that general idea that both those guys skip town and 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 raise trophies that's that's got to be a tough pill to swallow yeah and and i talked to drew you know 
pre-bubble run uh, about what his plans were go- uh, as far as his future in New Orleans. And he was a guy that said all the right things. I love it in New Orleans. I want to be a part of this this new cast and I want to see what happens with Zion. But I think, you know, him and AD are really close and seeing AD go to the bubble, win that championship. I think it maybe changed his perspective at least a little bit about what was going on in new Orleans. And I think again, if Zion, if they come out and they win this year and Willie green's great, I think Zion's going to feel a lot better about what's going on in new Orleans. But if it's another year where they're struggling, injuries keep popping up, uh, they miss out on the play in, I think we're going to continue to hear stories about his unhappiness and people around him uh, because they understand that, you know, he has the potential to be the face of this league. And the way you do that is by winning and having big playoff moments. And he just hasn't had that opportunity yet. What what are the expectations? Because, I mean, you know, we talk about Zion's unknown timeline, but the fact that he's not really even playing like three on three or playing basketball, like, I mean, a month away, you know, two months away, like that almost sounds like a reasonable timeline. And then as he eases into action, um, this is the, you know, they don't have the, the infrastructure to really survive in the West without him. So if he misses a chunk of time and, and, you know, they're integrating young guys and, and I just don't think even with them, they might, they're, we'd probably say they're like lower play in level. Um, do they expect to make the playoffs? Like what, like, is there pressure? Uh, on Willie Green to like get this right right away because of the Zion factor or is there more of a reasonable like look this probably isn't a playoff season they got to get Zion back to health like where is it at around the team yeah I think Zion's absence probably changes you know expectations a little bit especially if he continues to sit out longer and longer Uh, I think that's going to change things but but yeah I think they want to see a little bit more progress especially with some of these young guys they drafted you know figuring out what's going to happen with this transition from Lonzo to Devontae Graham, uh, I think it's going to be big. And, and just the way Willie Green handles this, because when you change coaches, you know, two times in, in Zion's first two seasons, you got to get this one right. <laughs> you can't afford to be in a situation next year where you're, you're like, man, maybe Willie isn't the guy. So I, I think they need those things to come together. That foundation, uh, I think probably more than getting to the sixth seed or something like that. I think, you know, they would love to do that with Zion. And, and they were hoping that he can really break out this season. B.I. could break out and they can be the surprise team in the West, but I think with Zion out, the big thing is those foundational pieces around him. Can they form or is this the team that when he comes out, they're just going the bottom's just going to fall out? I think that's the big question because if that happens, then he's probably going to look around just like AD did in the past. Like, okay, am I just going to be carrying this franchise by myself or can I go win elsewhere with a little bit more help? Will, what's your early sense on Willie Green? Have you gotten a good grip on his style, his personality, his kind of his vibe and, and his energy. He's a guy, for me, I don't know Willie well at all, certainly with the Warriors. Uh, I mean, fantastic reputation all the way through. But with the Warriors, fairly quiet, and then you learn kind of slowly but quietly that, that he was, you know, had a lot of juice with that group, and they love the guy. Then he goes to Phoenix, obviously, and does good things with Monty Williams. Um, but when that hire was made, my first thought was that, that he's a fairly soft-spoken guy in my experience. And I kind of wonder, like, How's he going to command practice? What is his style going to be? I don't know how much you've been able to see, but just in terms of the way that that he's, you know, uh, the early returns, I guess. What do you think in there? 
Yeah, I think we talked to the guys, you know, they all love him. Uh, they all really enjoy his style of coaching. Uh, I think the big thing, uh, again, was that transition from Stan to Willie, where I think they enjoy the way Willie has kind of loosened the grip on the way he does things. You know, uh, you hear stories about where Stan would kind of just stand at practice and dictate, <laughs> you know, what needs to go on for 30 minutes. And, and, and with Willie, he's a former player. So he's a guy, he wants practice loose. He wants guys playing, you know, free-flowing basketball. Everybody's involved. Uh, so I think they, they enjoy that style. And I think also they, I think they're going to enjoy the, the way he plays on offense, the way he's going to increase that pace. He's going to get more people involved. Last year, I think they were so ISO heavy with Zion and B.I. And I think this year you're going to see more guys involved. I think you're going to see a rotation that expands. And I think that's something Willie's going to try to stress going back to his Golden State days with Steve Kerr. Uh, where they, they want to feel like this is a complete team and everybody's involved and it's not just the Zion show, right? And, and I think uh, they enjoy that aspect. But again, uh, I think all of this sounds good in training camp, right? I, I think the big thing is when we get to the real games, are they going to win or are they going to lose? How does he handle these late game situations? Uh, I think that's how a coach is judged because, I mean, we heard a lot of good things about Stan last year. But, you know, once you really start seeing those bullets flying and figuring out how we're going to win, how we're going to lose, can we make the playoffs? That's when guys really judge what's going on around them. What, what's this look like early in the season without Zion? Uh, you know, you mentioned style of play, but just who matters, who who doesn't. Trey Murphy's a guy I'm very interested in as a, a rookie. They got a 17 that looks like, you yeah, know. You sure it's Trey Murphy? Slay? Uh, is it Trey, Troy not Murphy? Trey no, I'm sorry. Yeah. sorry no. <laughs> that, that inside joke, I screwed up a name last week. I'm glad Fred Katz wasn't here. I didn't think it was going to be mentioned. Oh, I'm not letting it die. Um, I know. <laughs> I thought I could get, get, get a week off with Will here, but no. Um, but but, you know, like, you know, the Devontae Graham, how he's how's he looking? Just just what does this non Zion version look like as they really try to just survive this first month? Yeah, I think the big thing for them is that they're fortunate enough to have another all star in the roster and B.I. And we saw him be the leader of this group without Zion a couple of years ago. And they weren't winning a whole lot of guy, games back then. I remember sitting there through a 13 game losing streak. But I, I think they I, what you heard, you know, early in training camp and during media day was everybody talking about how much ownership B.I. trying to take with this team, bringing guys together, trying to be uh, the leader of the pack and him, you know, getting stronger, uh, trying to switch up his game a little bit. So I think there's a lot of belief that he can be a guy who steps up big for them while Zion's out and leads the charge. Uh, but you mentioned it. I think the big question with this team is what this backcourt is going to look like. Uh, when you get rid of both of your starting guards, you bring in a new guy, Devontae Graham. Uh, I think it's going to be really interesting just how they play. You know, Willie Green still hasn't announced his starting lineup yet. Uh, we're not going to know that until Wednesday. Uh, I think we can probably guess Devontae Graham's going to be there. They gave him a good chunk of money this summer. You know, I've been screaming for Nikhil Alexander-Walker the past few years. I think he's due for a breakout season. Yeah, I love me some Trey Murphy as well. Uh, so I think, it, for one, we got to see – Brandon Ingram be great. He's got to be outstanding for this team. You know, the first two weeks, month, whatever Zion sits out, he's got to be a big time player for them to survive. And they need to figure out that backcourt situation and get, you know, some some production out of Devontae Graham, Nikhil Alexander Walker, Kyra Lewis, that whole young guy mix. They got some Tomas Sadoransky in there. They got the old man Garrett Temple. <laughs> you know, they got a whole bunch of pieces in there. Hey, but they got to figure he's, out. He's younger than me. Fit. Don't call him old man. 
<laughs> right. I, the, one of the, the funnier moments at media day was uh, somebody asked Garrett Temple about coaching in his uh, post career. And so Sadoransky walks in. He's like, hey, yeah, once they start asking you about coaching, you know, it's over. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I, I remember I fittingly I was in L.A. when this happened uh, at the Marriott Manhattan Beach when Garrett Temple was trying to fight his way onto the Kings as a young dude, maybe his second year or something like that. And his father was in the lobby with him. And I think he had just gotten another contract. It was just, you know, scratching and clawing, trying to make his way. Feels like yesterday, that was a long time ago. He's he's put together a pretty nice career. Um, feet to the fire, Will. You know, and I know this is tough to handicap because we don't know the Zion timeline. But is this a play-in team? Is it a playoff team? Is it Are they on the outside looking in again? What, what's the ultimate outcome here, you think? I still think they got a really good chance to squeeze in into that plan. I, I'm not a bigger believer, as big a believer as some people, you know, some of those other teams at the bottom of the West, like a San Antonio Spurs, like a Sacramento Kings. My apologies, Sam. Uh, uh, I don't got I, stock in the Kings. I don't know what you're worried about. <laughs> uh, but I, nah, I just think they can try to survive that first month or so of the season. And once Zion gets back, I think he's going to be really good. I think Willie Green's going to be a good coach for them. And, and again, they just need some of those young guys to step up. They got a whole lot of first round picks on this team. They need those guys to start producing and show them what they can be without Zion. And I think they can hold the ship together. Once Zion comes back, I think they'll be fine. I, I don't think they're going to be pushing, you know, seven, eight or anything like that or even six. But I think they got a really good chance of squeezing into the plan and at least making Zion a little bit happy. Yeah, It's crazy that 10 is now like gets you the into the playoffs. You know, yeah. the right, conversation. Exactly. It's crazy because like all you have to do then is find five teams you're better than. Uh, and in the West, you can guarantee you're better than Houston. You can guarantee you're better than Oklahoma City. And I think, I personally think they're better than the Spurs. I mean, I think the Spurs are ready for a dip. So then to me, it's like really a three team, uh, battle for which of them can get to that 10. And we're talking about Sacramento, uh, the Pelicans, obviously, and Minnesota. Uh, and, you know, Minnesota, who, who kind of had a nice boost with, with, with Finch and, and the Edwards year two and the, the Kings who Sam, we can get to. There's a little bit more desperation in Sacramento. Yeah, I could maybe think, Memphis. Yeah, maybe. Memphis. I mean, Memphis to me is kind of like because of what they did last year, nudge themselves a little bit above, but sure. Yeah. They could be in that conversation too. But, um, yeah, I mean, like they're, they need Zion to me without Zion within like a month or a month and a half. Uh, I think they're below that, but. Yeah, I mean, that's again, that's the play-in now. Everybody's in the damn conversation. Well, but Will hit on it earlier. We cannot gloss over or forget how fantastic Zion is when he's out there. You know what I mean? Like, that's you talk about a game-changing no player. Doubt, no doubt, You know, and I'm cheating and looking up last year's line. I mean, it's, you know, twenty PER of 27-plus. Shout-out John Hollinger. Um, you know, 7.2 boards, 3.7 assists, giving you a, a tidy 61.1% from the field. So... The dude is in beast mode all the time. Um, and and the know. big thing, I think, with this squad is they brought some shooting around them. You know, last year they were a top 10 offense. They were bottom five in three-point shooting, bottom five in free throw percentage. Yeah. And now you bring in Devontae Graham, you bring in Trey Murphy. Now you can space the floor a little bit better. Jonas Valanciunas is a bigger offensive threat than Steven Adams. So if Zion gets back to what he was last year, this team has the potential to be really, really good on offense. Right. Uh, but when do you see Zion and what are they going to look like defensively? I think are going to be the two big questions. If he's Guys healthy, be- 
If he's healthy, he's the best player in that bracket, you know, in that little bracket pocket that we were talking about. But the thing is, like, to me, he's better than Towns. But if Towns is there to start the season, he's better than Fox. But Fox is there to start the season. So, yeah, Sam, you're right. You know, you both are right. Like, Zion, if Zion, if you guaranteed me 70 games of Zion, they're in the play-in. They're in the play-in. But that's that's the problem. That that's what's concerned me so much about the the storylines around the Pelicans early in the season. I mean, especially is, Zion, a, a year older and wiser. I'm just you know, yeah. I think it's safe to assume that 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 game, even behind the scenes, which we're not seeing much, is he's he's developing and going in the right direction even more than before. Yeah, but the problem is Will's telling me he's not even in three on three yet, and I'm like, uh oh, <laughs> you know, right, right, right. Yeah, it's not great. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. I know I'm looking outside right now. Sun's out. Birds are chirping. It's time to start getting outside. Uh, I know that I like to get outside and play basketball with my kids. And honestly, I need to get into a fitness routine in order to keep up with these guys. And Peloton is there for me. Peloton's varying class links were designed with your training plan in mind. Personalize your workout, whether you'd like to add a 10-minute core session at the end of your strength class, or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes are designed to help focus on your needs and goals. Peloton's classes were made to challenge you. There are a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, full body strength, or marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you're already excelling in. Peloton's program and instruction push you to be your best. Their expert coaches and nonstop vibes will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run indoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. So the other guy, uh, segue here, who who probably won't be on the floor in that Pelicans opener is the Sixers, Ben Simmons. Uh, that's your opener is, is Pelicans Philly. Uh, before we get you guys out of here tonight, just to, to touch on a few other big-time storylines around the league, the latest on the Ben Simmons front, he is full-time practicing with Philly, and I reported today that it, you know folks close to him are indicating that he his intent is to play in games but then nobody seems to want to share the answer to the question of, okay, what factors must kind of be met in order for that to happen? Is it a conditioning thing? Is it a, is it a, a kind of a psychological, how am I feeling confidence thing? Is that a vibe thing with his teammates? Like how do you quantify what it's going to take to get Ben on the floor? And I've not got an answer to that question. Uh, I don't think he'll play Wednesday night and it's becoming, you know, an even weirder situation. Uh, I mean, maybe people reacted too much to this, but today the video goes viral of, of Ben in practice. He's got his cell phone in his pocket with sweatpants on. <laughs> now, here's the funny thing. Slater, first thing I thought of, I was like, I've seen Draymond do that. So, you know, like that, you know, I, I've seen it before. But it is, if you if you know the cameras are rolling and you know that the whole world is going to be watching because you've been obviously choosing to be away from your team, you know, it's hard to not feel like, I don't know, was that an intentional plant to just look laissez-faire, to look like, you know, I don't really want to be here. I'm just, you know, Marshawn lynching it and I don't want to get fined. You know, I don't know what it is, but weird vibe and, and no clarity on when we're going to actually see Ben out there. 
the the video uh, that you're talking about, which you know, it's it kind of funny. Uh, it was clearly like a pretty low energy, like shell drill type thing, where you know, it, it's not like he was out there in a five on five scrimmage, like you know, right. checking Twitter, you know, on the perimeter and text messaging Rich Paul or something. Um, right. But yeah, the I, Twitter comedians, of course, said it was so that he could get the the notification on, yeah. on the deal coming his yeah. way. Yeah, but the, the I Shams mean, tweet. Where you're right is uh, it's our first glimpse at him. And all I've seen of Ben Simmons now in a Philly practice is him looking pretty gloom, too. That was the other thing. I mean, he didn't he didn't look fired up to be there, which I think a lot of pouty faces, a lot of pouty faces. Yeah. And then, yeah, I mean, the sweats is like whatever. I You know, half the Warriors practice in sweats. That's just kind of a new thing in the league. But, yeah, the cell phone is like, you know, where's your attention really at here? But what did we expect? I mean, the funny thing is I'm. I actually was a little skeptical he'd show up because I didn't. I, I mean, we talked about it, Sam, on that on that podcast with John. Like, it, would he go Jimmy Butler? Would he go Harden? Maybe this is his version of that. He's just gonna take his cell phone around everywhere. And uh, well, he's gonna talk uh, allegedly in the next few oh. days. Well, that will be interesting. It will Very indeed interesting because again, I- to recap the framing of it to this point from his side. You know, and it's been written several places like he was going to his, the threat was that it was supposed to be genuine, that he was going to mentally not be there, that he might come back physically, but mentally he's never returning to Philly. Mentally, he's never reconnecting with this group. I think that's easier to say when you're sitting in L.A. trying to, you know, win this staring contest. But now it's it's a whole different ball of wax. Yeah, I think it's going to be super, super interesting, like. If they start off five and zero, oh, then, they're, then they're like, okay, we really don't need Ben. Or if they start off like zero oh and five, then they go like, hey, Ben, do you mind giving us like twenty minutes tonight? See if right. we can try to improve defensively or something. Uh, I think how they start the season is going to be super interesting. If he's just not playing, or do they try to get him on the court? Uh, do they try to, you know, I, I was here with AD a couple of years ago where they played him for the first three quarters and they told him he couldn't finish games, which was super weird. It was like they had a twenty oh, minute cap right. on his minutes. Yeah. Uh, league mandated 20 minutes from Anthony Davis. Uh, are they going to try to do that with Ben? I don't know. But it, yeah, I mean, as long as he's there, it's going to be weird. I think bringing the cell phone out for your first practice was really weird, knowing all the cameras are going to be on you. But man, that first home game at Philly, I, I just can't wait to see what the reaction is going to be from the home crowd. If he's sitting on that bench, just what are people saying to him? Is it going to be like a Ole Miss, uh, <laughs> Tennessee situation where people just throwing stuff, uh, throwing golf balls that been on the, on the bench? Uh, I, I just can't wait to see that first home game because uh, there's a lot of vitriol for him and he hasn't even been in Philly. So if they actually see him in person now with crowds back, uh, I think it's going to be crazy. Well, and even the on floor component, I mean, there, if, if there's one area of the game where your lack of wanting to be there is going to show up first, it's on the defensive end, right? And you got a guy who, second in the league and defense player of the year voting. Like if he's not himself, that's going to be there playing his day. And I, I'd be surprised if he was, if he gets out there, but um, I don't know how this ends. I mean, you know, you're talking about a dude with four years on his contract and a long ways to that February 10th. I think it is uh trade deadline, whatever the, I forget the date, but long way to go there. Um, the other news of the day guys to get your quick thoughts on before we, uh, we say goodnight for the evening is big man, Deandre Aiden, no extension, the Phoenix suns, had themselves a heck of a year last year, go up 2-0 on the Bucks in the finals. Aiton was a huge part of that, you know, was fantastic against Jokic in that series, you know, taking care of the MVP as they moved on against the Nuggets, you know, against Giannis. I mean, nobody got the best of Giannis, but Aiton did a pretty good job, better than a lot of his teammates. 
in that series. And uh, a lot of surprise around the league that he wasn't given that max, uh, max extension. I, I personally am a little bit on the fence here. I think it's not as cut and dried as a lot of other folks have made it out to be. I understand that in restricted free agency next summer, he is likely to get a max. But, you know, I think there is a somewhat of a debate to have about this situation. But how do you guys see it? Uh, it wasn't to me just that he didn't get maxed. They gave extensions to like everybody else. You know, Chris Paul got paid this summer. Mikel Bridges got a nice, healthy extension. What was it today? Yesterday, uh, Landry Shamit, who they just pay, uh, tra- traded for and was like not even really barely in the Nets rotation last year, got four for 43. Um, and then I think on the back end, to be fair, and we don't have, I'm going to try to get clarity soon on this, but yeah, I think a lot of that is not guaranteed, but, but still, yeah, the point stands. and, 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 and that's important context, Sam. Um, and, and, you know, I think in a vacuum, you know, maybe we don't kill all these deals, but, we're talking about optics really with Aiden, right? And we're talking about what he's looking at. Even if four for 43 isn't the Shamit deal and there's, there's, there's reasoning and like the Mikel Bridges deal, like that's a good deal for Phoenix. And, and to me, like Chris Paul getting paid, like Phoenix had to do that because they're trying to contend the next couple of years. But if you're Aiden, you know how locker room dynamics work. You're staring around going, everyone got paid but me. And he, to me, was showed such maturity last year. And, you know, I covered him and watched him in the playoffs and, and the way he accepted the grunt work of the center job and said, I don't need post touches. I will rim run. I will set good screens. I will learn from Chris Paul about how the angles he wants on his screens. I will do good post defense. I will learn team defense. And even though I'm only going to, you know, average 14 and and nine and that doesn't scream max Joel Embiid type center I am vital to this team I'm guarded Nikola Jokic and and really you know dominated that series from a sense of like he needed to play his he needed to play even with Jokic in that second round series and he did and they it allowed them to single cover Jokic and and kill Denver elsewhere. Uh, in the first round, he held his own against Davis and uh, you know Drummond in that front line. In the West Finals, they played small ball against the Clippers, which killed Gobert. And Aiton was great in that series and, and wasn't exploited and at times exploited the small ball the other way. Uh, I just personally, Sam, you might have more like behind the scenes context. I'm talking with somebody who has not talked to anybody around the situation. I cannot believe they didn't max him. And I think the the word you mentioned uh, was context, and I think that's that always matters in these situations because uh, we talked about the history with the Pelicans with Anthony Davis and Chris Paul and Drew Holiday, and I think that matters in this situation for with Phoenix because you know it wasn't that long ago where this was the franchise that was selling off first round picks every year because they didn't want to have those guaranteed contracts on the books. So they let Joe Johnson walk. You know, there's always this concern about Robert Sauver. How much is he going to pay for his team? Is he willing to give out big contracts to guys who deserve it on this team? And I think that was a big concern coming out of that finals run because it's great to have all of these good young players. But the only thing about that is eventually you got to pay them all. And we saw that was coming right around the corner with this team. And now the day is here and they don't make that commitment to DeAndre Ayton. And it's not like, this is a John Collins situation. We all know once Aiden hits the free agent market, he's going to get the max, whether it's from Phoenix, somebody else. Somebody's going to give Aiden the max. So I, I really the I don't understand the point of kind of playing this cat and mouse game with DeAndre Aiden. And I think the context matters with Phoenix because they have a history with that owner. And I think uh, it's something to really be scared of if you're Phoenix because your future isn't Chris Paul. Your future future is really DeAndre Aiden and Devin Booker and having those guys together for the long run. And if there's just already concern about how Aiden feels about ownership, 
whether he feels wanted there. I think that's really scary because that matters when you're not uh, the Lakers or the Warriors. You can just get, get guys to come there. I think if you see a guy like Aiden Walker, it's not like somebody else is just going to walk in and replace him uh, in Phoenix. Uh, I think you got to cultivate those guys and pay them if you're in one of those markets. And if you're not willing to do that, I think it's something that has to be said about, you know, that front office and ownership. That's all fair. Uh, I think the the narrative, though, I'm just always a little skeptical of, of us being a little guilty in the media of oversimplifying narratives. And I mean, listen, Sarver's got a long history of, of mistakes that have been well chronicled. But the idea that he's that he's being cheap here doesn't reconcile with all the contracts that that you guys just highlighted. You know what I mean? Like you can't have it both ways. It's either you're paying the wrong guys, you know, or I mean, just in a vacuum, think that Aiden shouldn't, should have gotten the max. I'm fine with that. Now you mentioned context. Will this part keeps getting glossed over too. I mean, the, the CP deal, like, yeah, they paid him, and yes, they retained him, which is huge. But I mean, that deal, which was initially reported as, you know, four for one twenty, has got only 15 million guaranteed in the third year. And a team option in the fourth. I mean, that's a massively different number than the one, you know, the, the narrative again of just, man, they just they just pulled out the checkbook for CP. They did what they had to do to keep him. But, you know, there's a lot of context in that deal. Um, I don't know. I mean, listen, you got the conversation about five-year max versus four-year that if you're matching next year. I generally, I'm always torn on these restricted free agency situations where, you know, it's it's the emotional component. Oh, the player's going to get upset. You might impact the dynamic, the relationship. You're going to have another Gordon Hayward in Utah. That's always the example that everybody cites. Um, you know, at the end of the day, they still have his rights. They still have control next year. Uh, and so they're not exactly on the edge of losing this guy unless he just decides, I want out. I'm going to, you know, go the, uh, was it Hayward who did the qualifying offer? Does that sound right, guys? Yeah, that, that does. Was it? Yeah, Roy Hibbert did. He, I think that's right. He he played the one year on the qualifying. Monroe, I mean, that's, Greg Monroe. Greg Monroe. Thank you. Well, not uh, Hibbert. Yeah, yeah, Monroe. Yes. David Falk was his his agent, and you know, and so, but you, we don't really see that. I mean, Will's got to know this. This is the Zion looming yeah, potential, the future uh, Zion. Tool. Yeah. Ooh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, you you can play that card. Um, but Sam, the funny is, part to me, I told somebody this tonight, and, and I think I have this right in my mind. Like, if the TV money from the league is on track to come in in 2025. You know, part of me says Aiden should be, you know, patting Sarver on the back because he's now lined up to get a new deal when when everything is going to have a major uptick, you know, a la the Warriors' memorable summer when they got Kevin Durant um, because, you know, everything is going to get spiked in that year. And, and if Aiden does – a different version of what he did last year, then then he's going to be having more money in his pocket. But but Sam, it's a hot situation because this team and the, and the locker room just got more interesting. Yeah. Well, the, and coming into this, that was like the the team I worried about least because they're so stable. They're bringing back their whole starting lineup and their like biggest you know key bench pieces. Um, and the where I worry about it from him is you know if you look early in his career where he impacted the Suns negatively was when he wasn't alert or trying defensively and he was too much trying to like you know get numbers essentially like hey I want some post touches because I am DeAndre Ayton for the number one pick and where he you know 
altered his game in such a positive team way last year was not caring about the numbers and learning about the just like the, the the dirty stuff centers need to do in the modern NBA, which is like, you know, all the different coverages and and hustle, tag the roller, get back, you know, like show here. And then also like, look, I'm just going to get offensive rebounds. And when you give me the ball and pick and roll, I'll dunk it. And like you never have to, you know, do a play where you throw it to me in the post and, and let me back down five times. And I just worry this year, not even just about locker room dynamics. Do they want me? Do they not? But him thinking, Hey, I'm, I'm looking at free agency. My number, like, did I score 20 tonight? Do I need to score 20 tonight to, to make sure I get this max? Um, and I think that could hurt Phoenix's groove because the, like that's what they were as a team. They just worked so well as a team. And I think the way Aiton accepted who he needed to be was so important last year. And I just worry about this making it so maybe he starts thinking about it. It's just certainly something to monitor with them. But man, if I'm hearing that Slater, like there's part of me, if I'm the Suns, like if he's that close to changing his wire and, you know, Back to the way it was. I don't know. I, there it's is part of me. in the NBA, Sam. I'm just know, being honest. Delicate. I feel These like it was five minutes. Hurt, of, feelings hurt very I just easily. feel like it was five minutes ago when we weren't sure. You know, we thought it was a terrible pick. And I know he had a great year, but it's, I don't know. There's part of me that says, just go ahead and show me another year. That's it. I know yeah. that's not necessarily how the, the league always works. And I know that market says he's a max guy. I don't argue that at all. He's not going to have trouble. You know, getting that offer next well, year. Why does but, Mikel Bridges get four for ninety? Then couldn't you say, "Hey, Mikel, show us another year"? To, to I mean, the skill sets for one, because what you just detailed. If I, again, if I'm putting my owner hat on and looking at it from that purview, like you're not describing a max player. You know, dirty work. You know, touching on defense. You're not describing a max player, and that's where the quandary is: is that you're asking them to do a bunch of things that you don't typically assign to max players. Uh, you know, I mean, so. Yeah, I, I, I just I, look. I think if like robotically in a chamber, if we just discuss, should any centers be maxed? If you're not like Joel Embiid or Nikola Jokic, yeah, there's certainly right, arguments yeah, that's that a like conversation. Yeah, it, it, that's a different conversation. But if we're talking locker room dynamics, like they in a season that I literally on our last podcast picked them to damn win the West, and now I'm a little bit more concerned. Um, you just risk upsetting what's going on. And you Sons know, an F and four Slater. Sons yeah. and four. Sam, you saw? Did you see his press conference where so they, he was asked about it? Like he was like no. pretty open. Like I was, I'm upset. I, I read it. Yeah, he seemed hot. Yeah, yeah he's so, a guy that that like, speaks his mind in press conferences for sure. And I think you know he's not Embiid, he's not Jokic, but I do think he's he's definitely one of the more skilled big guys, especially at his size. I mean, when you just see him on the court next to other guys. He's huge and he can do a lot of different things and he's still so very young. Uh, so I think, of course, he's not, you know, going to be a guy who gets you 25 a game anytime soon. But I still think he's definitely one of the better centers in the league, a guy who can get you 20 and 10 every night. And I think, you know, there just aren't that many of DeAndre Aiden's walking around. Is he the upper echelon, the elite, the elite? But I think no, but I still think he's one of the better guys in the league. And I still think he's somebody that you can look to and say, okay, we can build our foundation with him as one of our core pieces, one of our two or three best players. And if you can get that in out of a seven footer, uh, like I said, they just don't have many of those walking around. So you got to make that commitment. And I think it goes back to the conversation Slater was having, where it's this joke in, in Golden State, like, all right, how how much of the, the players hurt about Gary Payton getting cut as the 15th roster spot? And, and does it really matter? But I think it's about the players having that power to say, now, hey, we're making the commitment to do what it takes to win. If I'm DeAndre Ayton, I stop shooting fadeaways. I'm not shooting three-pointers anymore because I want to win. I want to see ownership 
make that same type of commitment to winning and commit to us to build out this roster. If I got to make the commitment on the court, we got to see it on both ends. Sam, last thing I wanted to, to, cause you're making good points. Um, but like you, you concern, you're concerned about like Rudy Gobert's like personality and how that affect you know, affects Utah. Right. And like the fact that, you know, you've talked yeah, about but he's it. a three time defensive player of the year. That's my I, thing. Rudy's been doing it forever. I do feel like if you talk to the Suns, what was part of the narrative of their season last year? They kind of pulled DeAndre out of a certain space, if you will, in terms of the way he approached the game and helped him from a maturity standpoint that by his own admission, he had struggled with. There's part of me that just feels like, I don't know, man, just keep the momentum going, have confidence that you can do what you're going to do again and you're going to get paid. The idea, I'm admittedly a little turned off. I mean, who cares what I think if you're him? But by the level, I'm a little worn out by the disrespect card from a lot of guys because uh, you are seeing it a lot. And, you know, I know I don't sound like, you know, Barkley on TNT at this point, but like you see some of the money these dudes are making that is just head and shoulders above what everybody who came before them even sniffed. And it's like, oh, you come in. I mean, even without getting in the weeds Sam, too much. Sam, you got to get Barkley on the record about this one. I'm just saying, like, you know, the Kevin Herter negotiation took a long time with the Hawks, and it's like, you know, I don't think he he wanted to be in that territory. And it's just – and there's all these examples all the way down the line of of players who, you know, who see their own value a certain way. And, and I don't know. with you, If you're Aiden, I just – listen, he's on a track that is going to be fantastic, and he's going to be good. He's going to get maxed out next year. Um, you know, we'll see what they do. I, I just, I do just the, the recency with, in terms of like his own development. And he went from a guy that everybody questioned, uh, whether he was worth the number one pick to this guy that was not that long ago. You, I saying. don't, I don't disagree with what you're saying, but I also think you'd probably agree that there's a chance that this really impacts one of the West favorites, because even if you're correct in your assessment, DeAndre Ayton could have a much weirder season because of this. And, and that really would. Yeah. I mean, Phoenix. I trust Monty Williams interpersonal skills to smooth it over. I would love to um, pick Chris Paul's brain on this one um, and know what Chris is saying, know what Chris is thinking. I'm Chris is never shy to call people of power. So I'm sure that he's been on the phone with Mr. Sarver and, you know, I, I don't have insight on that on this front. I mean, Chris in the playoffs, talked about, you know, helping the big fella get paid. So I'm guessing, you know, as, as a former president of the Players Union, he's going to be very supportive of DeAndre's frustrations. But um, I just think there's a little, again, a little nuance here. But, you know, you're not wrong. You t- you have a team in the same vein of Milwaukee, the same vein to a lesser degree of Utah, where there's continuity, less uncertainty, uh, and, and the type of stuff you thought would lead to a great season. We'll see what happens. Gentlemen, we have had a long pod here, a good pod here. I'm let y'all go. Um, Slater's got you know L.A. nightlife to get to. I so might be joining him later. So yep. <laughs> <laughs> Although, man, the locals are judging the hell out of us, Slater. Nobody goes to L.A. live. What are we doing? You can't do that. <laughs> hey, I, I've saw multiple notable people tonight. Well, we're working. There are NBA people. <laughs> we're going to connect with NBA people. That's what we do. Will, I know it's later out there, man, so thank you for staying up late. We appreciate you. Guys, we will uh, be doing this again soon. Best of luck actually interviewing people in person, writing stories about interviews you had with people in person. 
you know, breathing the same oxygen with masks on. I'm just very excited about doing this job, not from my couch anymore. So we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, boys. Absolutely. Man.